Let's pray. Lord our God, as we've considered some of the amazing attributes of God this morning already, that you are so great as Creator God, that you have made those billions upon billions of heavenly bodies and you know each one. That your grace, your free grace, has been poured out on us. Lord, thank you that we can consider who you are today. And Lord, we pray your mercy. We pray your mercy as we as mere mortals express our understanding of what your word says to us about you. But Lord, we pray your mercy too as we try and understand just who you are. Because we are so not like you. Our minds are so far away from being, from understanding who you are in your fullness. So be merciful to us now, we pray. Through your Spirit, teach us who you are. And may we leave this place encouraged because of the greatness of our God and that you have your hand on us every day. We praise you, Lord. Use this time now for your glory. Amen. Turn with me, if you would, to Isaiah, Old Testament, chapter 48, verse 16. Isaiah, chapter 48, verse 16. There are so many verses which speak about God as the Trinity. And even though you'll never find the word Trinity in your Bible, the teachings of the Bible express the theological term that's been given to who God is in His three-in-oneness. And we find it all over Scripture. And so let's just look at two verses, and then there's a few more we'll refer to as we go through. But one verse from Isaiah chapter 48. And as men in our men's study group, we've been going through the book of Isaiah. And what a blessing. We come across these nuggets of truth. And here's one. Speaking about God, the three in one. Isaiah chapter 48, verse 16. Draw near to me. Now, if you've got a Bible that expresses when God speaks with capital letters, like a New King James Version, that'll help you. If you've got an ESV like me here, you don't. You need to know this, and we don't, and so we lose it. Here it is. Draw near to me, capital M. Hear this. From the beginning, I have not spoken in secret. From the time it came to be, I have been there. And now... The Lord God has sent me, capital M, and His Spirit. Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, I am the Lord, your God, who teaches you to profit, who leads you in the way you should go. Oh, that you have paid attention to my commandments. Then your peace would have been like a river, and your righteousness like the waves of the sea. And then it carries on. But there we have an expression of the Son, the Spirit, and God the Father in the Old Testament. Great. Now, Matthew chapter 3, where it's really clear. 
Matthew chapter 3, verses 16 to 17. It's the description of when Jesus came down to a river and he was baptized there by John. And what happened there? I'm just going to read two verses. Actually, a a few more. Verse 13. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented Jesus saying, I need to be baptized by you and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Do you see it? Father, Son, Spirit. Well, let's look at the statement of faith that that we hold to as a church. And what is a statement of faith? A statement of faith is just a summary of what we learn in Scripture, put down in shortened form so that we try and remember what we believe. I hope that was clear. Here's a statement. We believe in one living and true God, an infinite, all-knowing Spirit, perfect in all His attributes, one in essence, eternally existing in three persons, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I think sometimes today we suffer from a shallowness of knowing how we express our belief in God. I'll give you an example. You often hear the phrase, what an awesome God we have, and God is awesome and He's great. What's that based on? Is it just based on a feeling that I have? That I know God is great, but what do you know about His greatness? You see, if we knew more about God and if we reminded ourselves of who He is, then yes, it would break out in what an awesome God we have. But we need to know what we believe. We need to know who He is. Why is that important? It's important to know why you believe in God and who God is because when you come to the crises in life, the feelings are going to run away real quickly. And then you need to know why you believe. You need to know who God is, what He is to you, and who He is Himself, His greatness, and everything else that goes. Because if you don't, you can have nothing else to fall back on. We'll come back to that right at the end of the sermon, with under so what. So let's look at the statement of faith and we're going to break it down into three sections. First section is, who is God? God is the only living and true God. That's the first part of that statement of faith. And what do we base this on? We base this on God's breathed out word to us. His revelation to us when we come and look at this whole statement of faith today, it is not something that man could have dreamt of. The three-in-one God is not a human concept. 
God revealed it to us. He told us what He's like. Otherwise, we'd never have got it. And so let's look at it. God is the only living and true God. Well, that implies that if we look at life, that man has many gods. And God is the only living and true God. Man has many gods today. Examples of that are the obvious ones. Um, I'll just take Hinduism as an example. Brahma, Shiva, Krishna and all the other gods that they worship. And they're tangible gods. They are idols made to look like the representation that was in people's heads, right, over the ages. When we were in India, we had the, the um, experience of seeing the idol makers making the idols. And they come in various stages, from made from plywood and then covered and painted, until there's the God that you can buy. In our Western era, we've got, or Western world rather, we've got Our gods are the endless pursuit of various things, the endless pursuit of status, the endless pursuit of money, pleasure, the next big thrill. Endless pursuit of the latest gadget. Endless pursuit of acceptance by friends. Job satisfaction, etc. Those are our gods today. A major god we have today is this reliance on self. I can get things done. There's a God in your life, it's you. But God says He's the only living God. All the other gods are invented or created by man and there is no self-revelation from those invented gods. He is the only one who has revealed Himself to us. The others all come from man. How do I know that? Isaiah chapter 44 is a great example. I want you to turn here. We're going to spend quite a bit of time in Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 44, verses 12 to 17. Here's a great example that the prophet gives to the people of the folly of idols, the silliness of it. I'm going to read it. The ironsmith takes a cutting tool and works it over the coals. He fashions it with hammers and works it with his strong arm. He becomes hungry and his strength fails. He drinks no water and is faint. The carpenter stretches a line. He marks it out with a pencil. He shapes it with planes and marks it with a compass. He shapes it into the figure of a man with the beauty of a man to dwell in a house. He cuts down cedars or he chooses a cypress tree or an oak and lets it grow strong among the trees of the forest. He plants a cedar and the rain nourishes it. Then it becomes fuel for a man. He takes a part of that fuel and warms himself. He kindles a fire and bakes bread. Also, he makes a god and worships it from the same wood. He makes it an idol and falls down before it. Half of it he burns in the fire. Over the half he eats meat, he roasts it and is satisfied. Also he warms himself and says, Aha, I am warm. I have seen the fire. And the rest of it he makes into a god, his idol, and falls to it and worships it. He prays to it and says, Deliver me, for you are my god. It's a very clear example. 
And so God says, I am the only living God. I am the one who breathes out to you who I am. So listen, he says. And I am the only true God. All other gods are lifeless in the true sense of the word. Isaiah chapter 44, verse 6. Look at that verse. You're going to have to keep your fingers in your Bibles. We're going to be all over today. Isaiah chapter 44, verse 6. This is what he says. Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel, and His Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and I am the last. Besides me there is no God. God has told us this. And so that's the first part of that statement of faith. Of course there's much more we can look at, but we don't have time this morning. God is the only living and true God. We're going to step on to the next point. And it's the next part of that statement of faith of ours. God is a spirit. He is spirit. Infinite, all-knowing, perfect and eternal. What are these things I've just mentioned? God is spirit, all-knowing, perfect and eternal. What are these? We call them theologically the attributes of God. The characteristics of God. So let's look at these very shortly. God is spirit. John chapter 1 verse 18 says, No one has ever seen God. Now, Moses saw a part of God, but he's never seen God in his totality. Jesus said, Not that anyone has seen the Father except Him, capital H, who is from God. He has seen the Father. Who is He speaking about? He was speaking about Himself. He has seen the Father. Why? Because He is God. But no man has seen God. He's a spirit. Paul speaks of God as one who alone has immortality and dwells in unapproachable light whom no man has ever seen or can see. Why? Because we are just humans. We can't see someone who is in unapproachable light. So his spirit. And yet God has chosen to reveal himself to us. This God who is spirit, who can't be seen, has chosen to reveal himself to us. How? Well, Scripture tells us, Genesis, God says, let us make man in our image. Now be careful here. When we look around and we see human beings, we're not seeing God. But we're seeing someone who is made in the image of God. The very fact that they can make decisions is an attribute of God. And there are various other things. God has given us we are made in His image. And so that's one way that we can see a part of who God is. What else? Psalm 19 verse 1 says, He has made the heavens and they are great. And when you look at the heavens, how great is God? We spoke about that this morning, right? So when you look up in those starry skies, you, you get a little picture of a part of who God is. He's great. He's awesome. We're going to come back to that. Romans chapter 1 says, When we look at creation and the various intricate bits of creation, we see God reflected in there too. And then there's a future aspect to seeing God. He's promised us in His Word that one day we will see Him in heaven. We're going to see Him, according to Corinthians, face to face. We're going to, according to 1 John, see Him as He is. But we are never going to see all of God. Why? Because Scripture also says His greatness is unsearchable. 
So we can start getting an idea of, yes, in heaven one day we're going to see more of who God is, but we'll never see Him in His totality. I hope you're starting to get a bit of a picture of who this God is. He is spirit. He's not like you and me. Even though we'd like Him to be. Or we try to make Him to be. Second thing. He's not just spirit. He is infinite. Now this is a reference to size and dimension. And as soon as I use those words, it's not God anymore. Because those are human words. Size. Dimension. But it's the closest thing I can get to describe who God is. Because in a way, His unsized. In a way, is so multidimensional that we lose the whole sense of the word, dimension. Because Scripture teaches us that He is immeasurable. He is so much greater than all of His creation. Think of what Colin was speaking about, how great is our God and the distances. and The Creator is so much greater than His creation. He's starting to get this picture of God. He's infinite. He's so great that He's everywhere all at the same time. That's why when the crew of the Apollo 8 went up and they read the first few verses, in the beginning was God. Those astronauts were sitting up above Earth. They were seeing the moon. That's what came to mind. God, when I look out into space, in the beginning was God. He's infinite. Psalm 139, verse 7 to 8. Psalm 139, verse 7 to 8 says this. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, the unmentionable place of horror, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me, be night. Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light to you, etc. God is so infinite that He is everywhere. That's not all. God is all-knowing, says our statement of faith. He is omniscient, is the theological term. He's omniscient. He knows everything. 1 John 3.20 says, Our God knows everything. Have you thought of that? Everything. God fully knows Himself as an infinite being. There's a lot of statements I'm going to make here today that are really loaded. And I, and I hope you can track with me here. God knows Himself fully as an infinite being. Think of that. He knows all things that exist. He knows all of creation Past, present, future. Every intricate detail. Why? Because He created it. He knows all things that will happen. Past, present, future. Why? Because He sits outside of time. Isaiah chapter 46, verse 9 to 10, says this. Isaiah 46, verse 9 to 10. 
I am God, there is no other. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purposes. God is all-knowing. Think of this next statement. God's knowledge never changes or grows. He knows everything. He doesn't learn anything, ever. We do. I learn new things every day. God never learns anything new because He knows everything. I hope your brain is expanding a little bit with all this. Because the purpose of everything this morning is when you get to the end of the service, I want you to go, nah, that's just too much. Great. You see, God knows the tiny details of our, of our lives. Jesus said, your Father knows what you need before you even ask Him. He knows everything. He knows the big picture of your life. When those things happen which you can't explain, He knows. So, He's infinite, He's all-knowing, His Spirit. Next thing, He's perfect. Matthew chapter 5, verse 48, Jesus says to us, giving us as he gives us a clue as to who the Father is. He says, you, be perfect therefore as your heavenly Father is perfect. No small feet. Impossible feet. You see, unlike you and I, God is perfect in His being. He's flawless in His being. Just look in the mirror and you'll see a flawed person. But God is flawless in His being. He's flawless in His character. He's flawless in all his ways, in all his dealings with people. He does not make mistakes. And therefore we need to think twice when we start blaming God when stuff happens to us. He knows what he's doing. He's perfect and all-knowing in his dealings with you and me and what he allows to happen to us. We need to have the same trust that Job had in the Bible. What did Job say? I've repeated this verse so often because it applies to my life. Job chapter 13 verse 15, Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Is that the trust you have in an all-knowing, all-powerful God? And then the last attribute, and there are many, many, many more attributes of God, but the last one we're going to look at this morning is He is eternal. God is eternal. Now this is not the same as infinite. Infinite's got to do with size. Eternal has got to do with time. And immediately when I say that, I've lost who God is. Because He's outside of time. Time doesn't apply to God. He is eternal. He is uncreated. He never had a beginning. He will never have an end. He always was, always will be, says Isaiah. Have you not known, have you not heard? The Lord God is the everlasting God, the creator of all the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable, says it. So this is the God that we're starting to look at this morning. So we've looked at these attributes. We've seen that God is a spirit. We've seen that He is infinite. He's all-knowing. He's perfect. He's eternal. And I'm glossing over those terms. He's a three-in-one God. Now you'd better fasten your seatbelts. God is a trinity. Now, initially when you think of that word, you think it's not much. It's just, okay, three 
persons in one. Well, let's look at this. The problem is with the Trinity, the Trinity is short for the triunity. Three in oneness. And the concept of a triune God is more difficult to comprehend because it's impossible to comprehend. Why? Because we've got no frame of reference. I can't say God is as Trinity as what you're going to say. There is nothing we can refer to, to to try and understand who God is here. There's nothing we can use as reference. Because we're speaking about three distinct persons or centers of being, and yet they are the same center of being. And in every way, all three of these persons are fully God, all at the same time, and yet they're different. You see, this had to be a revelation from God because our processes can't work with us. Why is this important? This is important because the Trinity and the understanding of who God is is at the very center of the Christian faith. If you've got a small God in your head, your faith is going to be small. But if you've got an awesome God, and I use that word carefully now because I've tried to explain something of it, if you've got an awesome God, then your faith will be so much stronger because of who He is. It's at the very center of the Christian faith. And though you'll never find the word Trinity in the Bible, and that's why the JWs and the Mormons and the Christadelphians are quick to say, you guys don't know what you're talking about. The idea of the Trinity is represented in the word in so many places as we've already seen in some of the verses we've looked at. And so this doctrine or the summary of teaching essentially says this, God is the one being, is one being, while existing as three co-equal, co-eternal persons, namely God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. God is three persons, yet one God. We call it monotheism. Mono means one, theism, God. We are a monotheistic religion. God is one, yet three, and one. And there's an often heard objection to the Trinity from other religions, especially Islam, will throw back at us, because you believe in Father, Son, and Spirit, that's tri-theism, tri-three, theism, God, that's idol worship. But it's not that, it's because they don't understand what we believe. Other people have tried analogies of who God is, and so they've drawn pictures. But every single picture is an exercise in futility. Why? Because as soon as you start drawing something about God, you've already lost it. And so, He is transcendent and His qualities are unknowable, says Isaiah. And therefore, when we draw an egg and we start looking at the shell and the middle bit and the yolk and what... Yeah, I should have studied biology. The shell, the white and the yolk... Immediately, as soon as you start saying, well, that could be a picture of God, as soon as you look at the shell and say, that is part of who God is, the, no, you can't. Because the shell is not the whole. The shell is only a part. And God is God in the whole, in every single person. As soon as you look at the other ones, 
We've got an apple, a shamrock, a triangle. All those illustrations fall short because we have to look at parts to try and understand the Trinity. And as soon as we do, it falls over. The one that kind of is quite good is ice and water and water vapour. But the problem with that illustration is that the one can't, it's not the other one. Liquid water can, has to become solid or gas. It can never be the other two at the same time as well. Because God, in His three personhood, He is all three at the same time. You see, it's a bit of a difficult thing here. Each person of the Trinity, taken independently, is still fully God at the same time. And the idea that God manifests Himself differently, as some now teach today, to try and understand this, they say in a situation it will be the Father. In another situation, God will manifest, you'll hear this word, Himself as the Son. That's not true either. Because that's a smaller God. That's called modalism. And it's a heresy. And it's been around for a long time. Don't believe it. Christadelphians halt it. And so all we can say is, Lord, your ways are so far greater than our ways, your thoughts and our thoughts. And we have to rest in them. So what did God do? He gave us scripture and he gave us a gradual revelation of who he is. In the Old Testament, he used, in Genesis chapter 1 verse 26, he used the word us and our. Let us make man in our image, says God. Now that was the introduction to the Trinity. Some have tried to wave it away by saying it's the royal we. No, it's not. It's never, you never find the royal we reference anywhere in Scripture. So it can't be that. Later in the Old Testament, God uses the word God as in Lord, Lord. And if you've got a Bible, you'll see a Lord, Lord reference. That's God the Father. And it uses these terms. Uh, references for God and Lord and you've got to look at the context of everything. I'll give you an example. Psalm 110 verse 1 says this. Listen to this carefully. If you know the context of what is being used and you need to know a little bit more then you'll understand which personhood is being referred to. The Lord said to my Lord Hey? Alright, I'll start again. The Lord said to my Lord Sit in the place of honour at my right hand until I humble your enemies, making them a footstool under your feet. Aha, I say with my New Testament brain. So when he says the Lord, Lord, that is God the Father, said to my Lord, Jesus Christ, sit at my right hand. Okay, I get it now. Are you still tracking with me? That was the Old Testament. God gave them pictures in the Old Testament too. So Abraham had this theophany. Man, you're using a lot of big words today, Calvin. Theophany is an expression of God in a picture. So one day Abraham is sitting outside his tent and three men approached him. And he quickly made a meal for them. And then it was revealed that this is God appearing to him. Interestingly, three men. The Trinity in a picture form. Genesis chapter 18 Verse 1 to 2. I just want to read you just those two verses. The Lord appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre as he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day. He lifted up his eyes, this is Abraham, and looked, and behold, three men were standing in front of him. 
When he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the earth and said, He recognized who this was. O Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. So there the Lord gives theophanies in Scripture in the Old Testament. And then in the New Testament it gets a little bit easier if you know your Hebrew and your Greek. Put up your hands. Okay, I know there's one. Um, he uses different words for God, Lord, Lord, and for Jesus Christ. So the, Lord, the word in the New Testament for God is Theos, and the word for Lord is Kyrios, and so we have separate words, and so it's getting easier to understand who he's speaking about. So what does Scripture teach when we go and look at all these things? Here it is. Firstly, it teaches that God is three persons. I'll carry on with that thought, alright? God is three persons. All three persons are distinct from each other. Matthew chapter 28 verse 19, the Great Commission says, What? Jesus said, Go and make disciples of all men, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Three distinct persons. So the Father is not the Son. The Father is unique in His personhood and yet He's still God. The Father is not the Spirit. The Spirit is unique in His personhood and yet He's still God. And the Son is not the Holy Spirit or the Father. They are three distinct persons. They're not the same and yet they are the same. I hope your mind is spinning. And when we look at the, the, the persons of the Trinity, we see that they are equal in deity. They are equally God. And yet they've got unique roles in those personhoods. John chapter 14, verse 26. Have a look at this verse. John chapter 14, verse 26. These things I have spoken to you while I am with you, but the Helper the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring you to, your, to remembrance all that I have said to you. Who's speaking here? Jesus is. You've got a red letter Bible, that's easy. Jesus is speaking. He says, the helper, the Holy Spirit, that's his role, whom the Father will send in my name, who sends, the Father sends, and the Son, he's the one who brings the words. Do you see their roles that the persons play in the Trinity and yet in God's wisdom those roles are subservient how do I know that they are under each other and yet they are equal the, the head of Christ is God says 1 Corinthians 11 verse 3 so in their roles the son puts himself under the father John chapter 6 verse 38 says this for Jesus saying, I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. So there's an authority over, but it's a willing authority. Jesus puts himself under the Father in his role, and yet he's equally God. It's too much for my brain too. Some of you are looking dazed. I hope it's not the length of the sermon. You see, the Son submits to the Father and the Holy Spirit submits to the Father and the Son. It's a functional submission. 
And it does not imply an equivalent inferiority of who they are as God, their essence. All three persons are equally God. You with me still? Second one. So God is three persons. Second part. This is also true at the same time. Each person is fully God and so exactly God in character and in being. Where do I get this from? Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 1. Verse 1 to 3. Listen to what it says. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 to 3. Long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom also He created the world. Now, take note, verse 3. The Son. He is the radiance of the glory of God. He is the exact imprint of of God's nature and he upholds the universe by the word of his power God in the form of Jesus Christ is the exact representation of the Father and the Spirit somehow he is the exact being of God in character as well as in His nature. And so the Father is God. The Son is God fully. The Spirit is God fully. There's much more to be said here. But I need to go to the third one. And the third point is God is one God. Now it might sound if I'm saying the same thing in different words, but it's not. These are three aspects of who God is in the Trinity. And that's why it's so mind-blowing to us. God is one God. He's one in essence in the very personhood of who He is and by nature. Deuteronomy 6 verse 4 says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. John 1 verse 1 says this, In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. Don't miss the last bit. And the Word was God. Speaking about the Son being God. God is one God. That's all I can say about the Trinity today because it's just too much to carry on. So what do we do with this? Why does the belief in God as a Trinity matter? Well, I want to just put four little short points to you. The first one is this. Once you understand some of these things, the reaction to that must be, wow, what an awesome God we serve. But now it's based on some understanding of who God is as well. It's not just a feeling. It's based on the knowledge which must result in feeling. If you understand who God is and how majestic He is, the only thing your spirit can do is cry out, what an awesome God I have in my life. Second point is this. Watch out. I've tried to put W's in for you to wake you up. Watch out. Any denial of any of the three persons of the Trinity or the three-in-one nature of God is a false gospel. Run away from it. Don't listen to it. There's a lot of it around today. Because people don't understand. They make it up. Walk away from it. It's not God's revelation, but it's man's creation. 
It's a God of man's own making and a false God. And God says, there shall be no other gods before me, says the Lord. Run away from it. Rather err on not understanding fully what the Trinity is all about, but believe in a three-in-one God. Thirdly, worship this all-in-one God. Worship Him. But worship Him giving equal attention to all three persons of the Trinity. Now, I'll explain what I'm saying here. The role of the Father is, He is the one who sends out, but He is also the one who is glorified. What does Jesus do? Jesus makes it possible for us to glorify God because He takes our sins away, right? And the Holy Spirit makes that active in our lives. He is the one who gives us that everyday life. But we are to worship all three persons of the Trinity equally. Unfortunately today, we're kind of targeting on the Lord Jesus Christ or the Father. And the, the third person of the Trinity is sometimes left right out. We need to worship God in His wholeness. He is a three-in-one God. Let's worship Him. Let's glorify Him. Let's glorify the Father. The Son is there to be loved and obeyed. The Spirit is to be listened to, honor God as a three-in-one God. And then lastly is the word what. What? What are you going through in life? How great is your God? You see, it doesn't matter what you're going through in life. It doesn't matter how overwhelming the circumstances are. Here's the truth of what we've learned today. The one living and true God. The infinite all-knowing Spirit. The one who is perfect in all His attributes. The eternally existing in three persons God, Father, Son and Holy Spirit is with you and in you. What can get greater than that? So trust Him. What can you be afraid of? He is so much greater. As we consider these things, we need to ask God to help us because we've only got little processes and they quickly get loaded up and overflowing. But God through His Spirit can give us a sense of who He is as a three in God. God. And so let's pray. Let's come before Him. And I want to quote some verses from Scripture as we close. Lord, our Heavenly Father, thank You for these truths about You. And yes, they are overwhelming when we consider a three-in-one God. Someone who is so unlike anything we can ever have reference to. Lord, help us to trust that what You've revealed to us is true. And that we would just hold to that awesome truth, that overwhelming truth. That though you are three, you are one. And yet, you've chosen to live in us. And to have dealings within us. And to show us your grace and your mercy. This overwhelming God to us, your creations. But you, beloved, build yourselves up in your most holy faith. And pray in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourselves in the love of God waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all. Amen.